we're continuing in our series, Six Things Your Children Need Before They Leave Home. We talked about character. Last week, Tommy talked about teachability. Today, I want to talk about vision. I want to talk about vision. How many of you remember the days before cable? Amen? Wasn't that great? Children just don't understand. We only had an option of three networks, do they? There's ABC, NBC, CBS. And if you were lucky, what was the knob at the bottom, VH, VHF or UHF? You know, you could flitter with that thing a little bit and get something. And then how many of you remember doing the, the whole TV antenna thing? Tin foiling the antenna? Dude, isn't that a great memory of childhood? Tin foiling the antenna? And then when you tin foil the antenna, then they realize that as long as you have your hand on the antenna, the reception is better. Amen? And so how many of us have done this? Excuse me, my throat is very bad today. And how many of you have done this thing where we just kind of like, eh, a little more, a little more to the left, a little more to the left. Eh, eh, right there, don't move. Been there? And, and one of the things that the big three did, I don't know which, I don't remember now, which one was on it, but somehow they decided that annually that they would start to do the Wizard of Oz. All right, now this was the day before computer-enhanced imaging, and I'm telling you, that green winch of those flying monkeys, man, it scared the bejeebies out of you, amen? Dude, I'd go to the Cincinnati Zoo. My mom said, what animal you want to go see? I want to go see those flying monkeys. She said, well, they're no flying monkeys. I said, Mom, I've seen it on TV. They're flying monkeys, you know? And we'd have this, this, this dialogue about the Wizard of Oz. The green winch, the flying monkeys look a bit cheesy now. But uh, unless you uh, compared all the computer-enhanced graphics, but back in the day, man, that was like nightmare stuff, wasn't it? The flying monkeys. When our boys were little, my wife, who was desperately afraid of the Wizard of Oz, would not let our kids watch it because of the witch and the flying monkeys. So we sent her to the store and watched the witch and the flying monkeys, you know? It was great. Unless you've been on another planet and don't really, <coughs> excuse me, know the story of the Wizard of Oz. It's about this girl named Dorothy. She was an orphan girl living with her uncle and her auntie M. And this tornado comes through the flat, boring plains of Kansas. If you're a Kansanite, I just telling you it looks flat and boring to me. And it picked up their house and dropped it right in Munchkinville County in the merry old land of Oz. Right on the wicked witch. Remember little red shoes would stick out from under the house? You know, they wiggle a little bit, wiggle a little bit, and then it was just like, Phew. and it was great stuff, man. They didn't blow up the house. It just squashed this woman, you know? And so Dorothy and Toto wanted to get back home to Kansas. And so the good witch, Glinda, by the way, when we were kids, we all thought she was hot, right? You know what I'm saying? And so the good witch, Glinda, gave the red shoes of the wicked, wist, wicked witch to Dorothy, and then the green witch wanted those shoes. So actually, the Wizard of Ox is a chick flick about two women fussing over a pair of shoes, if you kind of want to look at it that way. And so the good witch of the north told Dorothy, if you want to get home, you simply follow the yellow brick road. If you want to get to where you need to be, follow the yellow brick road. And she said, but where do I start? And she said, well, my dear, you start where you always start. You start at the beginning. 
then the little munchkin started singing, follow the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road. You all want to sing it, I know you do, right? By the way, have you ever wondered where the red road goes? It's just a thought. I don't have a clue, but Dorothy would follow the yellow brick road to help her get to where she needs to be. One of the things that we as parents have to do is we have to help our children get to where they need to be. And to do that, we need to help our children, and we need to give them the gift of vision. I'm not talking about 2020 vision. I'm talking about the ability to see what others don't see. It's our job to help our children know where the road goes and where we need to be. Don't you wish it's easy? Don't you wish it would be as easy as saying, "My children, God's will is just like following the yellow brick road." That would be great and wonderful. And there are benchmarks and landmarks all across the way. But there are some things that we have to do to help our children get from where they are to where they need to be. Jonathan Swift said this. He said, vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. A a reporter managed to get one last interview with Walt Disney before he died. And on the night before his passing, the reporter came in. And Disney, the story is told, motioned him closer patted the bed. The reporter climbed in the bed with Disney. And the reporter was going to ask him about the fulfillment of life, the satisfaction of his charities and and helping other people and providing so much joy for them. And on the last night of his life, he used the ceiling as a canvas and his finger as the paintbrush. And he painted a picture of a theme park that most of you have been to. Disney World. See, vision, about, vision is about seeing what's invisible to others. And so this morning, we're going to kind of look at this whole concept of how we can help our children's vision. The Bible has a lot to say about vision. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there's this no trust in God to see what can't be seen. Where there's no faith in God to go beyond what we can see. Then the people around you are in trouble. Now, if you're one of those parents who can't see beyond what's around you. Then you need to really focus in on developing some of these things. Matter of fact, the Bible is full of visions. In Genesis chapter 12, God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, from your heritage and from your offspring, I'm going to make a great spiritual nation. And so God gave Abraham a vision of a great spiritual nation. And this vision took Abraham in the direction of God. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph was a teenager. And God revealed to Joseph through a a vision of, of wheat stalks that his 12 brothers would bow down and worship him or pay homage to him because he's providing protection and provision for their family. And so what Joseph's dream vision did, it was a commitment to stay true to the calling of God and to avoid sin. In Exodus chapter 3, God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. The bush wasn't consumed and God spoke, took his shoes off because it was holy ground. And there standing before the bush, God told Moses that he would lead his people out of 
the captivity of Egypt and Egypt and Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the world power at that time. I mean, he was the man. Nobody rivaled Pharaoh. And here Moses was going to liberate the Israelites. God's vision for Moses took him to trust it in God. Then in the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books, God gives Nehemiah a vision. And it kind of starts with a bird. And it, it wasn't one of those things he saw in his sleep or saw in his wake or the Lord just kind of spoke from somewhere or through something. And Nehemiah's burden for his home city, Jerusalem, opened up his heart to see what God saw and that the city was in great need. So Nehemiah's vision took him in the direction of need. Not every vision God gives you for your child. Did you hear me? Not every vision God gives you for your child goes in the same direction. Not everybody's going to be pastors or, or missionaries. They all go in a unique direction according to the bent of your child. Helen Keller was an American author, a political activist, lecturer. She was the first deaf, blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree from college. Annie Sullivan, her teacher, was able to teach her sign language. And it was Helen Keller, blind almost since birth, who made this tremendous statement. She said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. The most pathetic person in the world is somebody who can see around them but not see the bigger picture. So when we talk about vision and gifting vision to our children, there are some simple things that, that we can talk about and that we can share. It's kind of like that Deuteronomy 6, you know, it's kind of our anchor text for the, for the series. We do this when we get up with our children, when we get down with our children, when we go in, when we go out, on the way to the soccer games, home from the soccer games, on the way to school, home from school. We just kind of let this be a part of the natural flow of life and, and who we are and what we are. And so let's start at the beginning because the beginning is always the best place to start. The first principle is the principle of attention. What gets your attention directs our direction and ultimately our destination. What gets your attention determines your direction and ultimately our destination. Parents, pay attention to attention. Got it? What your children pay attention to, pay attention to it. What they are drawn to, seek to understand it. What your children are pay attention to, know what captures their attention. Is it the fear of disappointment, the fear of failure, money, the opposite sex, sex, popularity, celebrityism? Fill in the blank with anything you like, but you have to give attention to attention. For the Wright brothers, what captured their attention was a little toy that their dad brought home on a business trip. And it was a little helicopter toy. And they, his dad just had it slightly hid and just threw it to the boys in the room. And that single act captivated their attention. And they wanted to fly ever since. And you know the rest of that story. For Steve and Jobs and, and uh, the other computer guy, Gates, yeah, Bill Gates. It was computers that grabbed their attention. 
For Gandhi in India, it was a nation at peace. For Martin Luther King, it was equality for all men. For President Lincoln, it was a united America where all men are free. For all the visionaries of the Bible, God captured their attention to start a great spiritual nation, to lead an exodus out of slavery, to rebuild a city going back to, to Moses and Nehemiah and Abraham. What gets your attention determines our direction and ultimately our destination. By the way, parents, this is true for you. What determines your attention or what you give attention to is going to determine where you land in this stain of life. What you give your time and attention to is going to affect all of that. So the principle of attention is huge. And the next principle is the principle of direction. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines our destination. This simply means we must give direction to direction. My kids and I loved to play basketball. It was a rite of passage. Anybody came to our house, man, it was like game on, and we throw them out on the driveway, and we play basketball. And we loved playing basketball. I was never so amazed in my life. I don't think anything has quite caught me off guard as when one of my sons, when he was around 16, on the stage at the old Kirby church, pronounced to the church that one of his goals in life was to be a professional basketball player. Dude, we are the epitome of Munchkinville people, you know? And my son wanted to play basketball, but that was his intention. But his direction was going towards music. Playing the piano, playing the guitar. Then he start writing songs. You see, there's a big difference between intention and direction. There are many of you as parents, you're intending to be a better Christian. You're intending to make things right with God. You're intending to do better this year. You got great intention. You're intending to get more involved in church. Attentions are thoughts that are never fully followed through on or never completed. It is direction. It is movement. It is activity. It is motion that determines your destination. For example, I can sit on this stool. Just a minute, I'm going to take a swig of water. I'm always uncomfortable when I do this because I always think you want a swig of water too. And you can, right after this service, there's water fountains. And feel free to sip away. If I were just to sit here and go, man, I'm intending to go home. Sometime today, I'm intending to go home. You watch out now, I'm intending to go home. Am I going to get home? No, it's not until I get off the stool and start moving. Pick a direction, chart a course that I'm going to get home. See, a lot of you are just sitting on the stool. You're always intending. God speaks to your heart. You know God speaks to your heart. You don't follow through on it. You're just intending. There's sin in your heart. You know there's sin in your heart. You know Jesus died to forgive you those sins, and you're intending to make things right, but you just sit there in your chair. Don leaves us in worship. 
Nobody, nobody takes you to the throne of grace like Don Myers. Nobody. And you know you ought to worship. You're intending to worship, but you're just sitting on the stool. See, it is not intention that gets you where you want to go. It is direction that determines your destination. Does that make sense? It is your direction. It's where you're going. So now if I'm going to go home, I'm going to walk out those doors, out that door. I don't remember where I parked this morning. I parked way back on the back lot. Get in the car, hang a couple of rights. I'm home. I live one mile from right here. But I'm never going to get home if I just sit on the stool. If I'm full of good intentions. Well, the next principle is the principle of choice. The next principle is the principle of choice. If what gets your attention determines our direction and ultimately our destination, and if direction, not intention, determines our destination, then you've got a choice and you've got to choose which direction you're going. If you want to move in the right direction, guess what? You've got to choose the right path. Not every road, folks, is going to heaven. You got to choose the right one. Okay? You got it? If you want to move in a certain direction, you have to choose the right path. By the way, choice is a precious gift from God. God in his sovereignty who can do anything he chooses gave you the gift of free moral agency. In other words, you can choose to do what you want to do. If you want to drive your car 120 miles an hour down Interstate 75, and I've heard some of you have done that before, God is not going to put his foot on the brake and say, whoa, baby, slow it down. If you want to stand in the middle of the highway with semi-trucks coming and to to test the goodness of God, God is not going to send an angel to snatch you out of a four-lane highway. Right? He gives you the gift of choice. That is such a precious thing. The ultimate choice that you have is to choose Christ as your Savior or to reject Christ as your Savior. But you will know when you stand in front of God on Judgment Day that the actions you did were because of the path you chose. And you are ultimately responsible for all the actions on the path you chose. So when you stand in front of God in judgment, you can't blame God for your choices. God looks at you and go, I gave you this precious gift. Now, this was one of those things I learned very late in parenting about teaching my children about the precious gift that God gave us. Not just morality, but that God-given choice. And so we have to teach our children about choice is important because we all know if you say yes to something, it means you say no to something. I chose to wear, and you should have seen me, my wife is not in town this weekend, and it was just like, I was a one-man pandemonium crew in my home this morning. I bet you, I'm not joking, I bet you I threw eight or nine jackets on the bed trying to find the one that matches, and I don't even know if this one matches. I didn't have time to show it to Rita before church, you know. If my wife doesn't give it the okay, then Rita's next in line, you know. And it's, 
If it works, okay. Now, if you don't like it, I already made the choice. I'm down the path, baby. I'm wearing it, all right? But when I grabbed this jacket, I said no to a lot of other jackets. When I said yes to my wife, I said no and continue to say no to all the other women in the world. When you say yes to something, the implication is you're saying no and and vice versa as well. That means when I said yes to Jesus Christ as a seven-year-old child, that means I said no and I'm continuing to say no to the devil, to sin, and to his influences in our life. By the way, who in here has no sense of direction? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you are sitting by somebody who just should have raised their hand to that question? (laughs) See, I knew I would get the more honest answer right there. You know? You have no sense of direction. How many of you struggle with direction even with GPS? Yes, God bless you. Means nothing, you know? (laughs) Here's what I know about getting lost. When I get lost, I don't do it on purpose. When I get lost, I usually don't know exactly where I got lost until I realize I'm lost. You know? It's, it, there's always that twilight moment when you're, getting, when you're lost. You're, you're unsure. It's like, it, it's that twilight moment before, between I know exactly where I am and I don't have a clue where I am, you know? The third thing I know about being lost is that the road I'm on always determines where I'll end up. Whether I'm lost, whether I said yes to the right road, no to the wrong road, or yes to the wrong road, and and no to the right road, the road I'm on is always going to determine where I end up. Here's what I've noticed. You and I have this uncanny ability for choosing paths that do not lead in the direction that God most of the time, that God or ultimately we want to go. Amen? Somehow we just kind of end up drifting to the wrong path. We, we don't necessarily, we just end up there. We don't know when it happens. Sometime between that little twilight area, I know exactly where I am. And, you know, I'm lost as the days long, you know? What I'm saying is most of our decision-making, we lean hard into our intentions and we pay very little attention to the path that we've chosen until it's too late. Most everybody has something meaningful in their life, but they've not wants to have a meaningful life, but they've not chosen the path to take them there. All I'm saying is that our kids know the difference between your intention and your direction. They know when you're on the right path, mom and dad, and they know when you're not on the right. They know when you're, know where you're going, and they know when you're lost and floundering with knowing where to go and what to do. This leads to the final principle I'm just going to throw out this morning. It's the principle of the path. Choosing the right path begins with submitting to the one who knows what's best for you better than you know what's best for you. 
I'm amazed as I studied this week the people in the Bible who got visions. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Zechariah, David. I mean, you could just go on and on. Amos and Hosea. I mean, you could just Ezekiel, Daniel. They just over and over and over. Mary and, and Elizabeth and the shepherds and, and, the, and the Christmas story. I mean, you can just go on and on and on with people who got this vision from God. And it was cool that none of them ever came back to God and said, all right, I heard you. Now what's next? Because isn't that what we would do? We would go, okay, step one is, step two is, step three is, step four is. Abraham, God said, I'm going to build a great spiritual nation through you. Trust me. Abraham went, got it. Joseph, I'm going to use you as the youngest brother to protect all of your family and then the whole entire nation of Israel. Don't need any more information, God. I'm just going to trust you. Nehemiah, there's a city that's broken, that's in ruins. People are hurting. Lives are messed up. Got it. I'm going back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the city. Details will come as I'm traveling down the path. Most of us want the details up front, don't we? We want the details up front. You know why we, I think why we want the details up front? To know if we can really do it or not. But understand, when you submit to God and his path, his leading, his direction for your life, when you submit to him, it's not about your ability. It is about his promises to you to do what he said he would do. And that's submitting to him. The decisions you make today have ramifications down the road, don't they? Sometimes the outcome is immediate. You don't study for a test tonight. You're going to do bad on it in school tomorrow. You don't prep for your presentation for the board meeting tomorrow to, or tonight for tomorrow, then you're going to blow it. The problem is that most of the time the outcome of our, our decisions won't be felt until much later. The path you choose in high school to apply yourself and study hard in order to make good grades or to play hooky and have a good time you're not going to know until four years after your freshman year how that impacts your college decision. Your choice in your 20s as a single parent impacts what's going to happen to you in your 30s as a married person. The financial path you choose early in your marriage to spend or to save impacts what happens financially to you as you face retirement. Ultimately, we don't know the outcome of many of the decisions we make until it's too late to do anything about them. Choosing the right path begins in submission, not more information. It's just, God, I trust you. And I trust you enough that you're going to let me know the next steps as I'm walking in the right direction, choosing to go on the right path. See, here's the bottom line. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he, he, not you, he 
takes care of the path. Right? You submit, he provides. He will make your path straight. You know, I lead people in a prayer of repentance all the time, don't I? Almost every Sunday morning, I challenge people to repent of sin. And if you're on the wrong path, you need to repent of sin. If you're one of those folks who have more intention than direction, you need to repent. Get off the stool. Get moving. But maybe there's a lot of us here today who need to pray a prayer of submission. And parents, you got to model submission. They know if you're under the authority of God's holy word. They know if you're reading it. They know if you're buying into to faith and what faith demands out of all of us. So if I were to throw a prayer of submission out there, here would be the prayer of submission. Lord, I'm leaning on you, not my experiences, my insight, or my education. I trust you. When conventional wisdom conflicts with what you have revealed through the scriptures, I lean hard on your word rather than my own understanding. When my emotions are in conflict with your truth, I'll trust your word and I'll harness my emotions. I trust you as the one who knows what's best for me. See, a prayer of submission is simply a prayer of trust. And before we can teach our children about vision, we got to have good vision ourselves, don't we? So would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes again this morning? Matter of fact, Dottie Joe's just going to lead the...